Mark 16, 1-8 When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which is very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, they, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples, Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I just thank you for the privilege that we have to, to be brought together by your Holy Spirit. Your promise is to be with us always, even to the very end of the age, when we will be with you for all of eternity as we put our faith and trust in you for what you've done and what we celebrate that you've done for us on Easter. God, I, I pray that you'll speak through your word. God, that you'll speak to my heart, that my words wouldn't be my own, but that they would be yours, that they would further illuminate your truth and your hope to all of us, that we might be drawn closer to you and closer to one another. It is in Jesus' name all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, I just, um, I, I just want to call your attention to the fact that uh, because we're online, we get to interact with one another. I've got a couple of questions during my message this morning that I would love for you to answer. So you don't need to know anything more than that. Just be looking out for those questions and give us uh, some of your insight as we move along God's word together. Uh, but I was thinking about something this week, and it was... It was storms. A couple days ago, there was a storm that was supposed to come through. It didn't really roll through, but I, I don't know about you. I'm one of those people. I love storms. I love the thunder. I love the lightning. I love the rumbling. I love the wind. I even love the funnel clouds and the severe thunderstorm warnings. I love what happens before the storm, right? It's this craziness of, you can't really describe it, but it's, it's hazy and the color changes and, and the, the air starts to feel thick. It's this eerie feeling that you can't really describe. And at the same time, even the pets know that the storm is coming. And then, of course, it comes. And, it, and, it, and you got to buckle down. If you're in, in, in a house with a basement, maybe you go down into the basement and you hide and you pray that it's not going to hit you. And then afterwards, a lot of times you'll see that there's a rainbow and the air feels pure and it feels clean and the calm that, that, that started before the storm is, is somehow replaced with a peace that comes after. And I was, I was thinking about that this week because... Because that's kind of how life feels right now, isn't it? Except none of us like the storm. We're, we're confused at best by, by the ever-changing forecasts that are coming from the, the pandemic equivalent to a meteorologist. We've seen the storm and how it's led to just incredible destruction in places like our own backyard in Milwaukee or in our country in New York where they've had more deaths there than I think almost any country. And so we see that and it, and it scares us. And then 
In other places, we're, we're looking out the window and we're just wondering, is it, is it going to hit? And when or if? And I, I remembered a, a conversation that I had a couple of years ago. It was with a guy who was a longtime member of our church. His family uh, still worships with us and are, are active members of our church today. It's the Polentius family. I was uh, talking to Bud. Now, he passed away a few years ago. Um, and we were sitting at his house. It was right across the street from the fairgrounds here in Elkhorn. And he was telling me a story about a time when he, I think it was him and his wife, they were, they were out traveling and they were in this town and this, this thunderstorm came through and this tornado came through and it was so bad that they had to hide in the bathtub of the bathroom of the hotel that they were staying in. And they were okay, but when they came out of the bathroom and walked out the door, the whole front of the building had been destroyed by the storm that had come through. They were lucky to be alive. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, I never did ask Bud if he liked storms after that, like I do. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he had PTSD, or maybe he did because he survived and lived to tell the story. I, I, I suppose that, that we too are going to have to answer that question. We're going to have to answer those same questions for ourselves when, when we get through this. When, when this storm is over, how are you going to feel? Will you feel prepared and strengthened in, in faith for the next storm or trial in life? Or will you be even more afraid? And the reason I go there is because I see the same progression that can be said about a storm. And I see the same progression that can be said about a pandemic can also be said about the story of Easter. You've got all the same steps, right? You've got, you've got the calm before the storm. Jesus out teaching and crowds loving him. That Palm Sunday procession that we remember just last week that, that feels on one hand like it's good and on another hand it's this indescribable eerie tension that's in the air. And then you've got the warnings that came from the prophets and even from Jesus that the storm is coming and the storm came on Good Friday and it killed Jesus and he died. But then on Easter morning, it feels pure and new because he was no longer dead but alive. And then you've got the response of the people that were there. And I'm specifically talking about the way that our gospel writer gives the response. If, if, if you haven't read the story of Easter, you, you might think that the response was more hopeful than it was, but, but it really wasn't. You've got guys like Peter, right? He was one of the disciples, and he was the one that Jesus said that he's going he's gonna to use to build his church. He's going to be the foundation for this organism that's called the church that's going to live on for thousands of years. And yet Peter, in the midst of the Easter story, ran away while the storm was just drizzling. And he left Jesus to literally die in the storm. Not a storm by wind or virus, of course, but a storm that was brought on to him because he chose to step into it and he chose to die on the cross for the storm of sin. And you've got the women, right? We read about that in our scripture reading just a minute ago. The, the women came to the empty tomb and they came with zero hope to find a risen Savior. And I know that because... If they thought that Jesus was alive, why would they come to the tomb to bury him? Why would they bring the burial spices to anoint his body? And then, and then they found the stone rolled away, and the angel says that he's risen, and go and tell everybody. And how do the women initially react? They're afraid. 
And Mark leaves us with this idea that they left and told no one, at least not right away. And there's, there's three truths that I have found to be encouraging on this Easter in this particular moment that we're living in. And I want to share those three with you. Uh, the first one is this. It's that the Easter story is full of people who are doubtful, scared, and without hope. The Easter story is full of people who are doubtful, scared, and without hope. And I find that encouraging because those are people just like you and me. And that's why Easter is the greatest story of hope of all, because those are the kind of people that Jesus came to save. Look at what I'm talking about. Let's read it again. In Mark chapter 16, beginning at verse 1, it says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after the sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. Now notice something here. These women came to the tomb after a 24-hour period of time known as the Sabbath. And if you don't know what the Sabbath is, the Sabbath is a strict, legal, restrictive period where people could not work where they did not leave their homes except for a short list of purposes, where the stores were all closed, and where they could not even gather in large groups to honor the dead. Now, we can all relate to that, can't we? In a way that we couldn't relate to that any other Easter before. It sounds an awful lot to me like a quarantine. And so, so these women... They had to sit tight when Jesus was buried until they could go and properly honor him. And they had time in that moment to think in that period where they could do nothing about what are the first things we're going to do on the morning when the, the conditions have been lifted, when the restrictions are gone and we can do whatever we want. And, and so here's a question that I want you to answer for the rest of us, and that is what is the first thing you're going to do when you have that freedom? What's the first thing you're going to do when, when the restrictions are lifted and you can go do whatever you want? What is it that you're going to do? And if you're joining us on YouTube, if you're joining us on Facebook, I want you to actually comment, show us your face, and tell us what is the first thing that, that you're going to do. I know one thing my family and I will probably do is go to the movies. And uh, the reason, I wouldn't have said that other than for what happened a couple days ago. My, my oldest boys, Jake and Evan, they decided to surprise us by turning our basement into a makeshift movie theater. And uh, our son Evan, who's eight, he came up, he said, Dad, Mom, you won't believe it, but they opened up a movie theater. I know they're all closed, but this one's open. And we went downstairs, and they put a, a sign on the wall, and we had, um, we had snacks. They made popcorn in the microwave, cold beverages. They even set the ambiance by taking the laptop that they've been using for school, going on YouTube, and they searched, I kid you not, romantic Italian music and, and played it. And so it felt like a cross between Olive Garden and a movie theater. And it was awesome. And, and, and on one hand, I loved it. And so did my wife, Alyssa. It was just so great. But on the other hand, it also just was kind of a reminder that, that there's certain special things that we get to do that we don't get to do right now. As a family. Another thing is our son Jacob, our oldest son, he turned 11 on Saturday. 
And so we couldn't have family over. So we did a Zoom call. And how, how wonderful, right? right? How heartwarming to be able to bring family, even family from Colorado and other places, um, were able to come and be a part of that. But at the same time, it's not the same as, as being together in the same place. My guess is whatever your answer is, what the first thing is you're going to do, it probably involves your loved ones, probably involves embracing people you haven't been able to embrace. We had a family here at at St. John's who just over this last week welcomed into the world a brand new baby girl, uh, and she's doing really well. The family's healthy and happy and at home, but her grandparents and even her great-grandparents worship with us, and and so I know that, that one of the first things they're going to do is they're going to grab that little girl in their arms just as soon as they're able to do that. Our, our parish coordinator, Tanya, uh, lost her mother. Uh, she passed away at the very beginning of all of this, not from the pandemic, but other health issues. And I know that one of the first things on her family's list is to be able to actually go and honor their mom with family and friends in a proper way. See, we can relate to the women at the tomb that day. We can relate in a way that we've never been able to relate to before on this Easter, that that Jesus died on Good Friday and they had to quickly bury his body before the safer-at-home order was in place known as the weekly Sabbath. And so early in the morning when they had the freedom to get up and to go out and the world opened up again, the very first thing they did is the sun came up as they went to the store, they got the spices and they ran to the tomb. And it says this on the way, they asked this, verse 3, they said, who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb. Now, I want to show you a picture. Here's here's a picture of what the burial tomb would have looked like. And you can just imagine that the stone would have been really hard to move. It wasn't too hard to move into place, but the way that these tombs were designed, it would have fit into a groove, and it would have been very difficult to pull away. And so these women are on their way to anoint Jesus' body, and they, in their haste, forget the most basic thing. It would be like you jumping into the car to go hug your loved ones after this is all over and forgetting your car keys, right? Like like they're just so just so ready to go and do what they haven't been able to do. And this stone for them would be a barrier between them and their ability to honor Jesus, to be with Jesus. And to them, it was insurmountable. They could not move it. And so they asked a very simple question, who will roll the stone away? And I love, love, love what happens next. Look at this. Verse 4. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, in case you didn't already know that, the stone had been rolled away. You know who rolled the stone away? Jesus. Jesus rolled the stone away. And, And the reason why is the second thing that we learn that I think is so encouraging for us in this moment that we're living in. It's that on Easter, it's Jesus who removes the barriers between us and him that are too heavy for us to move alone. It's Jesus that removes the barriers that are between us and him that are too heavy for us to carry alone. And and my prayer for you and for myself is that you would be encouraged by this truth in this moment because we believe in a Jesus 
who doesn't just move stones away 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, but that he is doing the heavy lifting in whatever barriers that you're facing in your life right now. What, what barriers are you facing in this moment that we're living in right now? What arguments and conflicts have you gotten into with the people you're living with that you just can't figure out a way out and you can't even get away from one another? What are those barriers? What insecurities are coming to the surface? Things that are showing you that you've trusted in things that are less than God or even good things that are apart from God and now they're falling away. What, what comforts are being stripped away from you? Things that you've looked to and reached for for peace that are not the prince of peace and the source of all peace that is God. And again, if you're on you're on Facebook, I know this is a deep question. I understand that, but I think that when we're honest and raw and we, we share with each other where we're at, I think we don't feel alone. And so what would you say is your answer to that? What, what heavy burden are you facing that you just can't lift your, on your own by yourself? I can tell you that, that one of my barriers is, is I just I find comfort in having freedom, <laughs> You know, I mean, I was born in, in America, as, as so many of you were. And if you weren't born here, you came here. And not being able to do things like, like little things, like going out to the movies is hard, but also big things like not being able to, to be with our family, not being able to, to go to my parents' house and, and hug my mom and dad or, 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 or walk into their living room, things like that. I, I, I feel extra insecure during this season. I'm not going to lie. I feel extra insecure. My, my job, right? The, the health of, of my family. I, I don't think I realize just, just how much comfort I get from doing all of these things that I think are the real reason why my family has been taken care of. If I can just provide enough, if I could just work hard enough, if I could just do enough. And right now, it's not enough. It's scary. I, I, I'm struggling with peace with my kids, not just being with my kids, but the rhythm. I've got four kids, and, and there's this healthy rhythm that they go to school every day, and there's other people that are pouring into them, and we go to church, and we've got wonderful volunteers and leaders that are teaching them about Jesus with Alyssa, my wife, and I. And in this season, it's just us. And I felt like at the beginning, I was all strong, right? And we're going to protect our family. But now I, I'm just, just got to be honest with you. I have not been the best parent through all of this. I just, just haven't. And so Jesus moves the stones. Jesus moves the stones that are too heavy for us to carry. And, and I know this because he's removed my sin. And he's removed your sin. He's taken death itself and moved it. And there is nothing heavier than any of those things, which is why the next verses say that the angel told the women to go and to tell others. This is the greatest news there is. Look at this, verse 5. As they entered the tomb, remember, the stone was rolled away. They saw a young man dressed in white, and he was sitting at the right side, and they were alarmed. It was an angel. Verse 6, don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. He was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See, this is the place where they laid him. But you need to go tell the disciples and Peter. Tell the disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. 
Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, the third thing that we learn from that long passage, and I'm going to break it down for you, is that on Easter, the impact of sin was not erased. The impact of sin was not erased. It was reversed. The impact of sin was not erased. It was reversed. When, and this is what I mean. Like, just follow me here for a minute. When, when the angel referred to Jesus as the Nazarene, this is what he was referring to. He was referring to the town that Jesus came from. It was a place called Nazareth. And it was a place that had a reputation, and it was not a good reputation. It was so bad that when Jesus called a guy named Nathaniel back in the Gospel of John, and, and he heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, he literally said in John 1.46, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip, the one extending the call, he said very simply, come and see. And that's the invitation for Easter, is for us too to come and see, because people are asking the exact same question. I'm asking the exact same question about what we're going through right now. Can anything good come from COVID-19? Can anything good come from the year 2020? Can anything come from a failing economy? Can anything come from the hurt and the pain and the loss that just seems so fruitless, so hard? And I want you to listen to me because this is the crux of what the passage says. And this is what Easter is. And this is the hope that we need the Spirit of God to speak into us, into our hearts. It is that the hope of the resurrection is not that somehow God undoes where we came from, even if it's humble, even if it's bad. It's not that God undoes our doubts. It's not that God undoes our fears and the evil that we experience day in and day out. It's better than that. The resurrection means that the resurrection, that God in his hope is so big that it can take all of those things, our fears and our doubts and our pain and our hurts, it can take all of those things within it and then carry it to the cross and through the cross so that the most horrific aspects of your life and mine are not erased, but they are reversed. The angel said to the women, go tell people to come and see a man from a disrespected town. Come and see this Jesus who died. He was crucified. He died a brutal death. He still did. All of that's all true. But the impact has been reversed because today he's not dead. He has risen, which means that every bit of humiliation, that every bit of doubt and, and abandonment, that every drop of blood that was shed by Jesus, that every second his earthly heart no longer beats and his body was in that tomb and the devil danced on his gravestone thinking that he won. All of that on Easter was utterly reversed when Jesus rose from the dead and in the moment of Easter, evil and death were put to shame. And the only thing left is hope, and a call to your name. And I'm not just saying that because it rhymes. It's true. Look at this. The hope is that if Jesus can conquer death, can he not conquer everything? 
Can he not conquer all things? And when I say that what's left is a name, look at what the angel said. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You remember who Peter is, right? He's the one that doubted. He's the one that ran away from Jesus when it was still drizzling. And so the angel says, go tell Peter there's still hope. There's still hope. And in John's gospel, and I share this at almost every funeral, when Mary Magdalene comes back, she comes back to the tomb alone and she cries at the empty tomb and she looks in the garden and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't know it's him. She thinks it's a gardener. And so she's crying. My guess is it's because she had tears in her eyes. She just couldn't see. Everything was foggy. And she asks the gardener, she says, if you stole the body of Jesus, just go tell me. Even though she's been told, she still doesn't believe that he has rose from the grave. And says, will you just tell me where you laid his body and I'll go take it. I'll bring it back. And Jesus says to her, you know what he says to her? One word and it changes everything. Mary. He says, Mary. He calls her name. He says, Mary, look past your tears. It's me. Peter, look past your shame. It's me. Your mistakes, your sorrow, even your disbelief are not enough to stop me from loving you any more than that stone could hold my body inside that grave. And I want you to know that Jesus is calling you too. He's calling your name. Are you doubting in this moment? Join the club. That's what we are at St. John's. We're a group of broken people following a perfect Savior. Are you doubting he's calling your name? Are you afraid? So am I. He's calling your name. Are you having trouble trusting Jesus in this moment? So did Peter, and God still used him to build up his church. So did the women, and they still went out and told others. And so do I sometimes. And that's why he rose. For you and for me, not to undo our doubts, but to hold them. Not to undo our fears, not to undo the broken parts of our worlds, but to nail them to a cross and to give them the brutal death that they deserve so that out of that tomb three days later, we might be encouraged by hope in a name that gives us the faith of God that Hebrews says is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this is really hard. And so I just thank you because sometimes the, the very thing in faith that I cling to, and I know this is true for so many others, is just this, this reality that, that you are not a God that shies away from the brokenness in life and the questions and the tensions. You enter into it with us. And so God, I pray for all of that right now on this Easter that we are scattered and we are hopeful and we are doubting and we are afraid and we are strong. We're a mix of all of those things. I know I am a mix of failures on one side and also some incredible resilience on the other. God, we thank you for the incredible signs of your grace and your love that are coming out of your people and people that maybe don't even know yet that, that you're their God, but yet they bear your image and so they're out sharing love and I pray, God, that they find out that that is coming from the origin of their life, which is you. That you created each and every one of us for life. 
And God, that as you have created us for life, your intention all along was never for us to live in a world that we would ever, ever have to see death. And it's because of sin that we have been drawn into that place. It's the root cause of all brokenness, and it leads to all of our deaths, whether it comes from illness or old age. And so we thank you, Jesus, that you love us so much that you could not stand us not being with you for all of eternity. And so you did what you didn't have to do. You came down and you became one of us. And you lived a perfect life and you died a perfect death so that you could take on all of the brokenness of sin, carry it through the cross, and raise it from the grave. God, I pray that that is the hope that we walk away from on this Easter. I pray that that is the hope that we then go out and share with others in word and deed. But we can't give anybody anything that we have not yet received ourselves. And so God, as we prepare our hearts to receive your presence through this meal and this feast table that you call Holy Communion, God, I pray that you would draw us close to you and close to one another. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.